So, welcome to my show. First, I want to first of all let me tell you who I am. My name is Renata Fuller, and um, I started this podcast. You know, I'm a retired teacher. Um, I taught for 28 years, and you know, I still consider myself young. So, I decided, you know, I still got to do something, but I definitely don't want to punch the clock of anybody else. So, here I am. I started doing this podcast, and my podcast basically want to know about different people's perspectives on issues that are going on in in the world. I feel that there are so many young adults and older adults who are doing great things, but they don't get the recognition that they deserve for all of the hard work that they put in. And I wanted to promote their perspectives on life because in essence, that's how you became you. We all have different paths that we took to get us where we are today. So someone out there needs to know it's okay to be different and want to be valued. You know, we're all different. So my podcast, when I invite my guests, my biggest thing to them is to be themselves, be honest, and just dare to be you. And so what my podcast, where it says Anchor Perspective, if you're anchored, you're not moving, you're not swaying. And so the big questions are whose perspective, what perspective? Because in essence, again, we are shaped by our parents, generational, uh, biblical, and other, other reasons. And that leads me into my guest today, which is Alex Henderson. Hey, hey, hey everybody, how's it going? Alex, I've been knowing Alex Alex for mm, how many years now, Alex? It's going on like 15, 17, or somewhere around there, a long time. Yes, he and uh, my oldest son, Quincy, and John Bowman and Dominique Callier, they were all very good friends, and we called them, well, at least I did, the three-piece and the biscuit, and Alex was <laughs> the biscuit. <laughs> yep, yes, indeed. Alex was the biscuit biscuit and you know it's a great combination though because when you eating chicken you know you like to have your little biscuit with you and so Alex I'm gonna go ahead and um talk about what the title of um our podcast is today okay and we're gonna be talking about implicit biases and Mm -hmm. Alex he is biracial and I feel the best way to really get a good understanding about the hate and the crimes that go on with people of different um, races, um, just just in general, you know, it's 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 a lot of hate crimes out there. And I wanted uh, Alex to go ahead and introduce himself, and then we're gonna go ahead and get started. I don't want to jump the gun. I was gonna get right into it, but go ahead, Alex. Tell tell us everyone about who you are, where you are, and what you are doing in life. All right, um, I'm Alex Henderson. Um, I am. Um... I've known Renata through her son, Quincy. Um, we play sports together. We went to school together. Still really good friends and have a fellowship and a bond uh, to this day. Um, I'm out here in West New York, New Jersey. I work in the automotive uh, finance industry. Um, I currently work with 19 dealers in North Jersey um, with Honda and Acura as the brand. Um, I do a lot of career coaching and a lot of consulting um, professionally with my peers and people that 
uh, want to know how a millennial thinks and how millennials move, uh, what motivates a millennial. So that's kind of my niche uh, when it comes to what I do. Um, but more importantly, I think that I try to be uh, not the first, but I try to be a, a good example of what I want the world to be like, because a lot of times, you know, being biracial, I'm Black and Filipino, there's not a lot of people who are vocal about uh, what mixed people go through. Uh, we're kind of left in the in-between and kind of left out. We're never going to be one way or the other enough. So we kind of blend in, um, which, you know, has set aside for me to grow into um, a, a business professional. I can fit in in any setting, um, you know, I can be friendly, but I can also go at somebody the right way, um, just from understanding and the importance of communication. Um, but today with the implicit bias, I think it's gonna be important to just have a conversation on it because a lot of people don't really understand what is going on, how it's going on, how we may be able to correct what's going on, but more importantly, just to gain some awareness and bring it into the conscious and the forefront because everything starts from something. It's not always going to be in our face. And I think that's where we are today. Things are not as in our face, even though we can pick up our phone or pick up the, um, you know, get on the internet and, and look at things and the TV throws it in our face. But a lot of where that gets from is a lot of things behind the scenes or things that we don't think about, things that aren't talked about. And that influences our actions uh, just as much. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. Um, I like how you said or mentioned that um, you're biracial and there's a lot of different probably issues that you face being biracial and not only are you biracial, you actually um, married um, out of your culture as well. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. So and I grew up in Dallas, Texas in Mesquite to be exact. And then I went to a private school um, the last two years of my high school years. And I ended up going to a private college in Iowa, um, Dort College, which is now Dort University. And that's where I met my wife, we ran track. Um, she is of uh, Dutch heritage um, from the Netherlands, is where her family originates from. And I'm black and Filipino, so we're all mixed up. Uh, but, you know, I think for me, I didn't really know what race was until sixth grade when I was taking a standardized test and I selected other. And that's at the time where Tiger Woods was dealing with his thing and trying to get everyone to understand where he came from. Um, but the teacher, she had instructed me to uh, select black uh, on the checkbox, you know, where you check black, white, other. Um, I had other and she instructed me to erase it and, you know, and check black. And so when I went home, I had a conversation with my parents mm -hmm. and I'm I still remember that conversation vividly because had they not broken down to me and taken the time to explain it to me, I think that I would be very lost as to who I am and where I come from if they didn't take the time. Again, at that time, I'm 11 years old and they're explaining to me the way of the world versus our home. And our neighborhood was very diverse. I had friends from all backgrounds. So I really didn't understand anything. Um, it's kind of like the, the book, Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. Um, that was kind of my childhood. I didn't understand nothing, you know, take a picture, I'm the darkest one. Or, you know, if I'm around um, people that are darker than me, I'm the lightest one. So I was just never looking like everybody else. Um, people don't know what I am. They might say sometimes I'm, I look uh, Mexican or uh, 
Latino or, or Egyptian. <laughs> I did some <laughs> crazy things, you know, because I look all kinds of way depending on if I have my hair combed over, have my hair cut. So it's 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 been it's been an it's been a trip to grow up the way I have, and now that I understand a lot of things and be able to have context behind it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, my wife is white, um, and I'm mixed, and you know we get we catch stares from people. Um, you know, people think I look like Taylor Lautner from Twilight, and they say <laughs> sometimes she looks like um, Taylor Swift, uh, depending on where we at. So right. it's all good, but yeah, so it's a it's a mixed up bunch um, on the way. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, it's so much that I, w- I want to get into, and I just really don't know where to start. But, you know, recently um, in Georgia, that was somewhere around March 16th, mm-hmm. um, they had this this big brawl that, that came out where um, Robert Long, he was like a 21-year-old white American, and he shot dead eight people at three different uh, massage parlors mm-hmm. in Cher- Cherokee County and um, Atlantic City. And six of those killed were women of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. And he's been arrested and he's been charged, you know, with eight counts of murder for each in like Cherokee and Atlanta. But besides the, the charges related to aggravated assault, he, he had attempted murder and then he also was uh, charged with the use of a firearm. And when that transpired, that sparked another movement. You know, we already was dealing with um, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And then now we're dealing with, um, they call it AAPI, which is uh, Asian Americans Pacific Islanders yep. um, hate. That's another movement. And one of the things that it all boils back down to and is hate. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I kind of want to move into right now is is about hate crimes because it's it's really prevalent. It's not only on hate crimes do not just exist with um race race, you know, like color. Mm-hmm. It's also hate crimes on disability, ethnicity, gender, gender identity. You know, it's just so much. And so I wanted to just kind of put a perspective on what hate crime means. So you got to look at the definition of each, you know, kind of broken down. And I just kind of want to go there first. And then we're going to discuss like what it really means to hate. And one of the things when I was reading, I found out that hate can very be, I mean, it can really be misleading. Mm -hmm. Because when we use um, hate in the crime of law, the word hate does not mean what we take it to mean generally. Like when when someone just on an everyday basis, when they use the word hate, they're they're like rage, they're anger, or they generally dislike something. But in this context, hate means biases against people or groups of specific characteristics, you know, that the law defines. And then mm-hmm. when we talk about what crime is, you know. The crime and hate is violent. Like right. They're being assaulted or someone is murdered. Um, people has people have even gone as far as to, you know, do arson, you know, set things. They, they're arsonics, you know. Mm-hmm. That means like they set stuff on fire. They vandalize. And also we, we have to add in it threats. 
just to commit such crimes. For sure. You know, and sometimes the person themselves don't do it. They get other people to do it. What are your thoughts about, you know, the hate crime laws that we've been seeing, you know, that's so prevalent in the media today, especially with our police officers, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just really, we're not even looking at, I guess that it's the police. We're just looking at the hate behind it. Let's talk about that for a moment. I think when it comes to what is going on, both um, in, in any community where there is hate crimes going on, I think that it's so deeply rooted that mm-hmm. in order for everyone to equally understand it, people have to feel it to some extent. You know, like and right now, because it's so prevalent in the media, like you mentioned, we see it almost every day. So we're numb to understanding how outrageous these these types of behaviors and actions that people take against other people are. Um, I've always been told when a person mistreats another person, they're just treating that other person how they see themselves without them knowing it. And that's the implicit bias that, you know, they're not conscious of it. An explicit Mm -hmm. bias, when someone truly just upfront hates somebody and they tell them to their face and Mm -hmm. they understand why because of certain actions and they have a awareness and emotional intelligence to go with their explanation mm-hmm. not saying that hate is allowed but people are going to feel how they feel that's controllable mm-hmm. because there was an action that spurred that but when it comes implicit a lot of times like we said you know at the beginning of this podcast you know we learn things generationally from our parents and, and so forth our friends the people that we meet the people we see in passing the people we're influenced by that we don't even know whether it be mm-hmm. a celebrity or not But at the same time, all of these things that are going on are so deeply rooted that these people don't even understand why they're doing it. They may have learned it or seen it, or they just really, in my opinion, want to find a way to be heard and be seen. Mm -hmm. And they don't know a way to get attention other than trying to be the next headline. And that's where I think it is because we're in this information society and people have all this social media and the thing that pops up at the top of social media all the time, it has to be something that's not a trend, but it has to be something that's viral. Mm-hmm. And not, it's not always going to be a TikTok dance. And some people right. can't process it enough to understand that if you can just take the time to have a conversation with somebody who looks different than you, or even somebody who looks like you and talk about these types of things, mm-hmm. it's going to make it a little bit clearer as to these people that are doing these things, they are lone wolves. I don't think in this generation and age right now, there are that strong of groups. There are groups that are out there, but they're not that strong. That's why you don't see them everywhere because they know they know how to get away with those things. They're not going to just do it in front of everybody because they're not going to get away with it. They go where they know that it's going to be allowed and then they put it on social media and it makes it look like it was bigger than what it was. So we can't really give the table legs when it comes to a person doing things and acting out and then it gets amplified because the media wants to exaggerate it but at mm-hmm. the same time you know that individual for whatever reason you know he's they he wants to say he had an addiction and then those places um, made him relapse or fall back into it i don't believe in that mm-hmm. when it comes to that context um, because that's not what it's about. It's not about the person who did wrong to the people. 
It's about honoring those people who did nothing wrong to anyone and were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and I think, you know, if we go back to it and, and I take a deeper look at it and I ask myself, how could someone possibly get to that point? You know, they may not have had a conversation like we're having ever in their life. They may not have ever had a true friend. They may not have been a most likable person. They may never have fit in any anywhere in any aspect of their life. And no one has ever probably taken the time to reach out to them because they have been so standoffish. And that's what kind of spurs someone to maybe get to that point. I'm not a, I don't really know the mindset of someone who would take those actions and try to carry something out like that and, and think that it's okay because it's not. Um, but I think when it comes to what that particular event um, specifically, you know, it was a troubled individual, of course. Um, but let's say, for example, let's say the tables turn and the first place he walked into, they was ready for something like that and, and he got got. Then right. what would the storyline be? Exactly. And that's where I have an issue with it being of a mixed race. It's like, I, me personally, I feel like I can't win when it comes to race because I'm 50-50. And right. even if I try to be one way or the other, then people always look at it with a brow up because they're saying, well, you can always go back and, and blend in on the other side, which is very true. But at the same time, me, I have a voice. I want to be heard. I have the conversations. I sit down and talk to people about it. But it's never enough because, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers are the numbers. I'm 50-50. You know, not by choice. That's just, you know, that's what God made me. So I think that at the end of the day, when things like this happen, it's a direct reflection of the individuals who try to carry these things out. But it's so deep-rooted, you know, and and implicit to that person that at the time when they're doing it, they think it's right. Right. As crazy as that sounds. Right. You know, one thing that kind of stands out, too, excuse me i'm sorry you said that you're 50 50 Mm -hmm. however however when you think back on it and we look at the heart of man and we look at your mother she can't Mm -hmm. say she's 50 50 right or or your dad he can't say he's 50 50 Mm -hmm. and um could you could you explain um the makeup of your biracial yes so my my father is um from detroit michigan um, born and raised, and then he met my mother in the Philippines. She's originally from the Philippines, around the, the Manila area, and he was in the army at the time. And they ended up dating, and later got married. Um, they had my brother and sister. I have an older brother and sister. My brother was born um, in Germany. No, he was actually born in the Philippines. I apologize. And my sister was born in Florida. Um, and then they lived in Germany for a little bit. And by the time I was born, we were um, in. Irving, Texas at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in my household, I, it was it was a, a different perspective as far as race. It was, you're right, they were 100% African-American and 100% Filipino. So I was born and nurtured and coddled and affirmed that I was 200% of, of the best of the best. Right. And when I became an adult in my later years of college and now entering in the professional world, that's when I just had to be real with myself and say, you know, these people, no matter what, I'm not white, so they gonna look at me as I'm black. And if I do have the conversation with someone, you know, that, that's where the 50-50 came from. It's not from me feeling like I'm 50-50. Um, if anyone knows me, they know I have the highest confidence and can't nobody break me down. 
and right, right. I, I'm, I'm a big personality but when it comes to me understanding other people's perspectives and, and respecting their perspective 50 50 i'll take that because some people they view as zero and they don't exactly. they don't come out and say it but they don't talk to those people they don't acknowledge those people they don't greet those people at the door they don't hold the door open for those people you know and if i can get that half of the time i'll take that um just that's just me being who i am being an optimist because the other half of the time i'm always gonna meet everybody halfway Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I justify my actions when I take it out on people in a positive or a not so positive way. I'm already halfway. So if that person doesn't meet me there, that's on them. Right. And that's how I kind of live my life when it comes to interacting with other people. I give people a fair bout, even if they don't give me a fair bout, because when it comes around and they talk in front of me or to the side or behind my back, they understand and everybody else might look at them like they're crazy because they didn't have the interaction that that one person had with me. And so that's how I kind of, you know, plant the seeds and, and hopefully some of those seeds grow into positive relationships that people can carry with them. Um, when I was in college for most of the kids that I went to school with, I was the first black person that they sat down and had a conversation with about what it's like to be black in higher education because they grew up in predominantly um, in a high majority of white neighborhoods and white communities where everyone looked like them and everyone almost had the same last name. So I was pretty much groomed to be able to have those conversations. I didn't really understand what was going on. There was a education professor that wanted me to come in and speak to her class. And I'm thinking it's just gonna be one class that I go and talk to about what it's like to be um, black in education. And my experiences growing up, being able to go to public and had the opportunity to experience private school and high school. And I thought it was just gonna be for one class, but she scheduled me for every class block. And so at that point in time, I had no choice but to catch on because I had to not just prepare myself to speak to those people, but really give them something that they could walk away with because they may not take the time or have the opportunity in that setting where everybody is in it for the same reason. Mm-hmm. And from there, some people even took it upon themselves to try to interview me one on one to get more information as to why I was the way I was. And did I feel like a teacher influenced me when it comes to those things? And my greatest teacher um, still to this day has, is my grandmother. And I love her dearly. She teaches me so much as a kid. Um, I never missed a holiday with my grandmother until I turned 23. So from the age of, from zero to 23, any holiday, I was with my grandmother. Um, And, you know, I try to, you know, FaceTime her now and things like that, but I live on the East Coast. She lives in Texas. She's been my greatest teacher and I never will take that away from her. I've had some great educators, but what my grandma taught me, you know, she was teaching me things that adults are, are just now dabbling in. And I was a child. I didn't understand it at the time, but whenever I started to open my mind, she had already given me the framework and I like to call it the green print because it helped me make some money as far as understanding, you know, you have to work with people. You have to be able to communicate with people no matter how different they are, no matter if they like or love you or hate you, Um, you know, in between, you have to be able to be around people because yes, you can make it by yourself, but you're going to go further if you can bring other people with you and work with other people along the way. Um, So that's for me was, is where I'm at with it when it comes to 
uh, all of that. Right. So you say your grandma, is that on your dad's side or your mother's side? It's on my dad's side. So my grandmother, she's um, from Detroit. Um, she was born in Georgia. That's where her name comes from. She, Georgia Henderson. Shout mm -hmm. out to grandma. And, uh, you know, <laughs> she, she really put a lot of effort into making sure that I understood that you can get whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Um, you, you might have to hustle for it but there's a way to do it the right way and, mm -hmm. you know, follow what's in your heart and everything go fall in place, you know, mm -hmm. treat people good. She's a big entertainer. Everybody's went over to her house and she's cooked for people. Um, even some famous people, you know, her being from Motown, she used to run food to the celebrities out there mm -hmm. from, her, from her mom's kitchen. Uh, so, you know, just carrying that legacy that she's allowed me to be a part of, you know, we go to the family reunion She's she's a celebrity. She might show up an hour late, but everybody gonna make sure they say hello. And she's in the corner sitting down, and everybody gonna come and speak to her and right. give her hugs and take pictures with her. And for me to see that, um, I, I was around sixteen when I saw that. That's when mm -hmm. I was like, I really have to make sure I cherish this and, and carry this forward and continue to tell those stories whenever I get the chance because she is an interesting person. Um, and I love her dearly and she makes everything make sense for me. If I need something to talk about and she can break it down to where it makes sense to me the first time because me and her have that special bond. That special bond. That's mm -hmm. You know, it's good to know both um, a lot of different cultures because I like how you said that in this world that we live in, in the United States, you know, it is a melting pot. There is no one pure um, race as as we say i had the pleasure of going to israel and um i didn't see very many you know african-americans over there and then the people mm -hmm. of, of of color that i thought were african-americans they actually were not they were more like somalians mm. and you know and I, I i guess i'm trying to get to the point that i haven't traveled enough but i know people that have traveled where you can go to various countries where that's all you see is that one kind of uh, ethnicity right and so mm -hmm. one of the things i just kind of want to touch on there are two questions i really want to ask you and first of all your mother mm -hmm. um, she's filipino yep. and of Asian descent and when that happened I noticed like on TV um, people that work with um, Asian Americans you know how the black lives matter you know everybody's getting involved you know different races are getting involved mm -hmm. but when that came out some of the um, Asian Americans they were saying that nobody asked them how did they feel you know when when the women were attacked at those spas you know because that was they said it wasn't a hate crime, but you know it's 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 crime, and it was targeted against these particular um, people or races of people. So I don't know if you would call that an implicit bias, but it did spark something in the Asian American and Pacific Islanders um, culture. And what 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 if any? How did your mother feel, or how did? she discussed that what were y'all conversations like if anybody knows my mom if anybody knows miss susan everybody knows she, she a little crazy and <laughs> she could be off a record and my mom you know when i told her what was going on because she doesn't really watch the news like that 
Mm-hmm. Um, just because where she where she came from, they ain't really have news like that. So she still to this day doesn't really pay attention to the news unless somebody tells her to turn the TV on. Mm-hmm. Then she will. Otherwise, she she watching some um, Filipino musical <laughs> of some sort <laughs> or listening yeah. to music. Uh, but my mom, she's the type of person she has no problem with telling people about themselves. So mm-hmm. and that's upfront. Like she right, will be. Right. I remember I ordered something for her to pick up at Walmart and she was over there cussing the lady out on customer service and I'm on, I'm on FaceTime and I'm t- trying to explain to my mom, like, we just ordered it. It's going to take a couple of hours for them to go and, you know, package it up and get you right. Um, she wasn't trying to hear that. Right. So it's, it's, it's two sides of the Asian community, in my opinion, from what I know. There are people who are a little bit more Americanized than most, mm-hmm. but these communities that are being targeted these are tight-knit communities that everyone views as a minority because it's only a certain area where you can find them and they don't leave that they'll keep all their money in that community whether Mm -hmm. it's you know everybody knows a nail salon and a dry cleaners and a restaurant is going to be right in the same shopping center right you know um and it's that's by design that's not on accident and then Mm -hmm. they're going to put those types of things in communities where people have a lot of cash they don't really care for it to be in the nicest of neighborhoods. They want cash because, mm-hmm. you know, some Asian communities even go as far as having their own banks um, mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't know about that I suggest a lot of people look into, um, you know, how they economically position themselves. They don't really care to have a voice when it comes to the politics because they have their own world and it's better here than it was where they're from. Mm-hmm. But my mom, she she knows that you know she's like if somebody tried to do that to me they would have something coming for them right <laughs> she, she, you know what I'm saying? she's going to make sure that she ain't she gonna go out fighting um, right she's a fighter um and it's a lot of time you know they're targeting older people you know grandmothers and grandparents and mm-hmm. i think that when it comes to that me and my mom talk about it she's like you know at the end of the day yes we can talk about hate but it's just disrespectful because yeah, right. and me and her had a conversation that you know it's hard for us to have the expectation for other people to have respect for elders when they you know may have come from a broken home mm-hmm. and they only knew one parent so they may only know one set or one grandparent and not everybody at the same time so how could we expect them to respect other elders that aren't related to them right and you know, I think that when it comes to everything that's going on, whether it's the police, whether it's people targeting the AAPI community, um, they know, it's sad to say, but they know who to try because they're not going to try it on somebody who is with it. Um, right. I don't want to say, <laughs> I don't want to cuss on your podcast, but they don't, they don't want to, they're not going to, they know who they might be able to get away with it. Um, there was a, a grandmother in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. A young white guy tried to try her. She beat him with a stick. He left on the stretcher. <laughs> um, and she, you know, she had to get bandaged up and she had like a broken nose and, and stuff like that. But she beat him down. Right. So, you know, sometimes, but we're not going to see those stories because that's not what they want to carry out you know there's there's higher agendas for whatever reason 
but people know who to try and not to try because they're not going to go deep into the Asian community and try these things because they, they're not going to make it out. It's no different if they were to go to anybody's neighborhood that doesn't look like them. They have to make, they're not going to make it out. Right. Because so they, they don't catch, know their systems. <laughs> correct. They catch people in transitions and, mm-hmm. you know, and whether they want to acknowledge that that's how they planned it out or not, you know, they're not really conscious of what they're doing. Um, but their attitude towards it, I think that's something to really talk about too. It's like when it comes to hate, it's an attitude. Like if you don't like something, then you obviously hate it. Like you don't have to say you hate it, but you know when your people are teaching kids about you know eating at the table and table manners, and if they don't like something, you know kids keep it the most real. If they don't like the food, they'll spit it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it comes to it like. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it comes to a point to where if people don't understand their own attitude or attitude towards people and, mm-hmm. and how they view other people and or even just knowing themselves, that's very powerful. Yeah. If they don't know themselves, then how are they going to be able to acknowledge the person as they are? Not as they want them to be, but as they are. And that's where I think that all of this stuff is coming from because it's like... You know, the guy that shot up the people in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. you know, he may have been mistreated by or denied something by an Asian woman that was in a a spa salon. And that's why he went back to maybe not where it actually happened, but he knew where he could probably try to get away. You know, he wasn't even from that area. So it's things like that, that it just is beyond me to try to wrap my mind around. But Mm -hmm. I try to have the conversation because if I don't try to have the conversation, how can I expect someone else to have the conversation? Yeah. And you know what, that, that leads us into um, another topic that I do want to get back into. You had started talking about it at the beginning where Mm -hmm. we were talking about implicit biases and you know, it's unconsciously association, you know, about your feelings and, and racial discrimination. And when I say racial, um, that's not the only discrimination here because like I said earlier, we have it in gender, like women, women, just being a woman throughout all of America, you've been, Mm -hmm. you know, discriminated against and, and the LGBTQ community, they've been discriminated against and people with disabilities have been discriminated against and, Um, ethnicities and color, you know, all of that. And I wanted to just kind of go into some um, behaviors that sometimes we don't realize that we're being insensitive because I'm I'm not going to even lie. I'm going to be very transparent. I remember, you know, coming up into all of this, really into my grown, grown years, you know, Mm -hmm. where when we go to the uh, beauty supply house, it was called mm-hmm. the chink, chink shops. Mm-hmm. You know, um, those type of things are implicit biases because we're not realizing that that's insensitive. Right. You know, or, or let's take it even another another step, though. Let's take it from another culture. You know, I've always grew up hearing and I've experienced where you go into an Asian um, store and being an um, African-American, they're watching you. Like, I'm talking about like a hawk. Or, mm-hmm. you know, they always say the white woman on the elevator and a black man comes in and then um, she's going to clutch her purse tightly. Right. You know, all, all of these type of things or 
um, just, just, we can, we can name several different biases that we really don't realize that is being, uh, unconsciously done. You know, like we always stereotype, um, house cleaning with, um, um, Hispanic Americans, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, just, just looking at the different jobs and, um, economical classes of people, you know, that certain people are going to be working certain jobs and by design, it's set up that way. You know, it's what they call that systemic, um, yep. systematic, uh-huh. systematic. It, it, let's call it what it is. All of these biases are systematic. Yep. You know, just even with the social classes, because you take the average Caucasian person that's that's working, you know, had the same education that I had or you had mm-hmm. um, lived in the same neighborhood, you know, pretty much being the same. It's, it's almost obvious that they're going to get the job probably before you. People don't look at qualifications and um I'm going to let you speak on this in a minute, but I wanted to go back to what you had said too. And it all goes back to that implicit um, biases. I saw on social media the other day, I was strumming through and they were showing where this guy had a knife and it was a lady officer and she kept, had her gun pulled and she kept, he was chasing her basically, you know, and she's trying to talk him down and he was really going after her where that was a physically you know, attempt on her life. And mm-hmm. so it took her about maybe five or six minutes to actually shoot him. Whereas, you know, you look at some of the the issues that are going on with the Black Lives Matter, a person couldn't even just approach a cop like that with, with a knife. They would be shot. Right. You know, they can't even get out the car. Like that little young 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yes, he threw the gun down, and like I heard the mother's heart. She said she should have, could have, they could have shot him in the leg, you know, right. in the arm. And that happened here in Arlington. And I actually had the pleasure of sitting with a young lady. Um, her son was at the car dealership in Arlington. He was jumping on the cars, you know, and the police shot and killed that young man. And I had gone to one of these nonprofit meetings. And I sat next to that mother and the mother said the guy, the young man was a Christian, you know, he was always helping people. And our question was, why couldn't they just shoot him in the leg? It's obvious you could see the guy was on some type of drugs or Mm -hmm. something by the behavior. And the mother had said that her son wasn't on drugs. You know, it was just, he had been to a party and he got a hold to something, something, someone slipped something in his drink and caused that behavior. You know, and so we have these type of biases. So let's talk on that because I understand you had a lot of training with implicit biases. So let's speak on how we can help people overcome these biases when we don't know that we're really doing it, but we do it. We Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So, you know, we have bias. Uh, Anytime you're not neutral and you have a preference for something, then you have a bias. Um, we have a lot of privileges that we're not privy to the understanding, whether it's, you know, are we man, woman, our, our race, our age, our job, do we have higher education or not? Do we have experience? Um, do we have friends that are connected? Do we have family, 
Um, are we coming from a two parent household or a one parent household? All of those things are privileges that contribute to having a preference and that shapes and mold us. You know, whenever, let's say, for an example, let's say we go into uh, to go get ice cream and, mm -hmm. you know, everybody knows what type of ice cream they like, whether they take 15 or 20 minutes to order it. Everybody knows exactly what type of ice cream they want. And that's the type of the best analogy that I can give people as far as implicit bias. You mm -hmm. already in your mind, it's already made up. Mm -hmm. You're just not aware of it. So you're going to go down and you're going to try to talk to different things and make different points. But at the end of the day, you're going to make the same decision that if you had two seconds to make it or you had three days to make it, it's going to be the same decision. Because implicitly, so deeply rooted in our conscious, we are going to have that preference and it's already instilled into us, whether it was nature or nurture. Those are things that we have to pay attention to because, and it's hard to because some people say, well, I never knew. So in the organization that I work in, they are teaching people these things as far as addressing implicit bias with these diversity and inclusion committees because just saying I don't know and I was not aware that that was what I was doing, that's no longer acceptable in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. So instead of attaching it to one incident here, one incident here, they've taken the approach to blanket it and teach everybody exactly what it is. Once they teach everybody what it is, let somebody step out of line and they no longer will be under the umbrella of the organization. The corporate world is so big, it's going to move with or without that individual. But they've taken the time to educate. And I can guarantee and I know for a fact that the person that put that in place is a person of color. And that's something that I find to be motivating to me and being in the corporate world. It's like, how do we make a difference for people that look like us? Mm -hmm. This time last year, I was able to sit down with a white man who was in his mid forties, um, who was a higher level manager and me and a coworker, we spoke to him. He asked us, what is it like to be black? And at first I was taken aback because I was like, what do you mean what's it like to be black? Because mm -hmm. in, my, in my heart, I was like, you don't even see me for what I am. Like I'm, Yes, I'm black, but also acknowledge that I'm I'm mixed. I'm, I'm Filipino or ask what I am. Right. Um, it took me about five to 10 minutes to get past that part and really engage in the conversation and meet him where he was at. Like, you're right. You know, other people are going to get a job based off of what they look like. And, you know, even when it comes to resumes, when people put, you know, their their actual name on resumes, sometimes <laughs> No, like it's a real thing. Yeah. If they put their actual name, and I'm not just talking about, you know, everyone on the other side in their headphones or wherever they listen to this podcast, they're like, oh, like black names. No, I'm talking, there's Chinese people that right, have to right. use an American name because no one would be able to pronounce it. Right. Um, and um, there's also um, people from the Middle East that have names that are difficult to pronounce that they change their name on their resume. And that's something that, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, whenever we were going through the training and I'm looking at these resumes, yes, I, I even myself, I would put them to the side because I didn't understand, you know, okay, I don't know how to say this person's name. So let me come back to this one. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and that is a preference. And that's implicitly me being like, I don't know how to say this person's name. How is someone that's speaking to this person going to be able to say their name when they're only hearing it for the first time? 
-hmm. So they may not be able to make that connection, which is all the way wrong on my behalf. Um, a huge mistake that I was making at the time. Um, so I think that it goes to the point of when it's implicit versus explicit, like just to get a, a clear understanding. Explicit is something we can control. Implicit, we can't control because we're not even in the right mind to know that's what's going on. Because we don't know what's going on, how can we correct it, right? Mm -hmm. We only know what we know. But if someone, like this conversation, it may spur somebody to be like, you know what? I've been making these decisions and now I know why I have context to do it. Let me Google what implicit bias is and maybe that will help them and help somebody else out in the long run. It's not gonna change overnight. It's not gonna change within this generation, but I can guarantee you these kids that are growing up right now, they are gonna make some serious change because yeah. they are growing up with all of these things these and to them, it's yeah. normal. Mm -hmm. To them, it's, it's supposed to be this way. You're supposed to have that high level of engagement when it comes to activism. Everybody has to take a stance. Yes. You know, my generation, the millennials, I say, you know, everybody told us what to do, but didn't show us what to do. Mm -hmm. And these kids now, they are in the middle of it. You know, they are doing things that haven't been done in decades. You know, they're mm -hmm. attending marches and protests. And to them, it's normal. And that's a good thing because they're always going to explicitly pick a side. We're in this thing was going on because people refuse to take a side. People want to be an ally, but they're not going to show up when they need to. That phone is not going to get answered when it needs to be answered because they only want to do it when it's convenient for them. Mm -hmm. I was watching Sports Center the other day, and um, one of the guys on there was talking about um, whether you have black friends or, or you just know black people. Mm -hmm. uh, Shannon Sharp. And um, you know, if you say I have a black friend, then you you know he said then that's just you knowing black people. That's not really your friend because you you should see them beyond that if they're really your friend. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what's going on with a lot of these things is people only see things for what they want them to be and not for what they are. And implicitly, without them understanding that level of conscious, they're making a preference that is feeding a stereotype that may have been a meme may have been something that they've seen their parents do. Maybe it's something that they've seen on a TV show or a movie. You brought up the elevator example that happens to me all the time. And I try to disarm those people and, you know, have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once I am able to communicate with them and acknowledge, you know, that they're, that, you know, I can speak properly and, and I can enunciate and I can have a conversation with them. I see how they walk off. And they walk off like, man, I had that person pegged all the way wrong. And it's like, that has to stop because you never know what someone is going through or what that conversation can do if you never have it. But if you do have that conversation with somebody, it could change your perspective. That's something that I learned. Like, let's say when I was a teenager, I used to be so, what's the word? almost a bully mm -hmm. because I felt that that was going to make me more alpha when it came to the machissimo of being a young man. Right. Uh, you know, I was a premier athlete at the time. So I felt like I had to act a certain way and be a certain way. And when I got older, I was like, I was doing it all wrong. 
<laughs> but I was acting that way because I felt that I had to be exclusive because of what I thought was important as an achievement at that point in time. And it's to be the top dog. And, you know, I played an individual sport. Mm -hmm. I never really liked team sports because I never understood how can I, at, as an athlete, how can I put what I've put into this in somebody else's hands? Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're going to do when, it, when it's crunch time. Right. You know, I'd rather do it all by myself. And I was groomed and raised like that. And people are like, man, that's selfish. And it's like, now that we're adults, I tell people all the time, is it still selfish? Because you got to pay your bills by yourself. You got to go to work by yourself. You got to do things that no one else is going to help you do. Whether they say they're your friend or not, you have to take care of yourself. You're right. And implicitly, you know, at the time, the stereotype is, oh, you know, Henderson's not going to make it. He's not he's not cut out to, to go to the next level because he doesn't work well with others. Mm -hmm. I get paid to work well with other people. And do so, it well. <laughs> and, and, and do it well. Yes. And I'm from Mesquite, Texas, and I live 10 minutes from Midtown Manhattan. So I can't I can't always agree with people who have an implicit bias and don't take the time to understand where I was coming from. You know, a lot of coaches at the time in high school, particularly, they didn't understand where I was coming from. As a 14 year old winning the national championship in the 400 meter for the whole United States, they didn't understand. I had already reached a level of achievement that they would never experience themselves. And I'm not saying that all coaches are not, you know, high achievers, but the coaches that I had, most of them weren't high achievers. And that's why they were coaches because they couldn't let go of the game. They couldn't transition into doing something other than being around the sport. Yes, it was a passion for them. I'm not knocking them for that, but there's other ways to still be connected to it. And I feel like they got in the way when it came to that. That was my bias to them mm -hmm. until I understood there's no one way to do it. Right. And I think for me to open up and really take the time to sit down and, and meditate and mediate myself on that, mm -hmm. once I understood there's no one way to do it, then I had an appreciation for every type of person, every type of attitude, and it helped me work better with other people. Now, going back to what we were talking about, if I was to witness something going on, whether it's the police treating someone unfairly and unjust and threatening their life, I always tell myself I have to do whatever I have to do to get in the way of that because they're not going to do me like that because I'm going to be able to communicate with them. I'm going right. to be the person that in my mind, I run it over in my mind all the time. If I see a police officer making trouble with someone who looks like me, I'm going to jump in the way because they don't have a target on me. Their target was the person that they're giving trouble that they think they can get away with it with. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I find it in my heart, I have to jump in the way because that's what I would want somebody to do for me if that was the situation. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer on, you know, you get what you put out. So in my mind, I ran it over and over and over. If it came down to it and I was witnessing something, I can't just stand on the side. I have to get up in there and, and try to disarm everybody and mediate and be in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. No, it's not my business, but today it is. That's the attitude I would have to have because that would be the difference of me having long lasting trauma from witnessing that firsthand mm -hmm. versus me being scared for a few minutes and everybody gets to go home. 
at some point. That's right. You know, it was something you said that it was really funny. And it, it happened to me just this morning. I wanted to mention the names of the six victims that were Asian women. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to call their names. And when I started looking at the names, I could not pronounce them. So I, 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 right. I didn't do that. And one of the things that I realized just at that moment that in my 55 years never occurred to me is that I don't really have any Asian friends to even hear how those names are pronounced. Mm-hmm. And so had I been around Asian Americans where I hear it, then I probably wouldn't have had a problem with pronouncing some of their names. Absolutely. And, and that right there, like you said, it, it occurs implicit biases. They occur automatically and they're unintentional. But nevertheless, there are effects of those judgments and these decisions and these behaviors that we're making because just right there, maybe just on my podcast, if an Asian American was listening to it and I would have started off saying those names, I probably could have reached somebody of that culture. But Mm -hmm. because of my own limitations, because of my own limitations, I, I was not able to do that. I mean, I could have attempted to butcher their names you know, mm-hmm. but I just put it aside. Like you said, I just put it aside because of that one thing instead of me just going on and being upfront, like in an interview. Right. You could have just called that person and said, Hey, look, I don't know how to pronounce your name. How is your name pronounced? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and it works the same way. Think about it. I don't know if you had this experience, but you know, I'm well over my 30th year reunion of high school. And so when we go back to these um, reunions, sometimes people change, you know, like we don't always look the same. We don't got more uh, mass on us, you know, <laughs> and our faces, you know, change. And so, yeah, um, if it wasn't somebody that was in our circle, we remember them being in class with them, laughing and talking with them. But at, you know, age, sometimes you can't call somebody's name. And so what's any different than me saying to my, my African-American uh, classmate, uh, Baby, you know, I don't know. I know you, but you know, I can't call your name right now. And they tell me their name as opposed to me, you know, calling somebody on the phone for an interview and say, hey, I like your resume, but I can't pronounce your name. Can you help me? You know, that's where we're going to really, really see a change is through this awareness that we're bringing about. People have to be aware of, of what these implicit biases are so that they can work on themselves and it's not until we can work on ourselves until real change is gonna come you know you think about um a mother and a child Mm -hmm. you can sit and tell your child all day long hey babe don't do that don't do that i'm telling you i've done that don't do it but until that person gets it for themselves either with a hard change or through experience that person is not going to change you can talk to you black and blue that's why they have this saying you can lead a horse to water but you mm-hmm. can't make that horse drink it and so it's the same with hate crimes and and uh, implicit biases 
until you make people aware, until you bring it to the surface, it's not going to pierce a person's heart. And even when we bring it to the surface, it's going to take time. And this is where I want you to speak on, because you had said nurture versus nature. Right. And we can bring awareness to people, but things that have been, that is somebody's nature takes time to break mm -hmm. because it's in you. That's what has been instilled in you. And then when something is nurtured, that means you keep living it and living it. I want you to take about, I, I think we only have about, about five to six minutes. Mm -hmm. And I want you to go a little deeper about um, nature and nurture when you were speaking of um, implicit biases. Of course. So I view nature versus nurture as nature as what's in you. Nurture is what's on you and around you. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to implicit bias, people are going to be who they are, who they are meant to be. We only have so much control of that. That's how I look at it. Somebody's going to be their true self. It's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to that, the nature part in order, you're right. People aren't going to change because that's their nature and that's really who they are. So in order for a person to be changed, you have to change their environment. You know, that's why you start to see a lot of young people traveling as much as they can travel mm -hmm. because they want to get out of their environment. They don't know why, but they want to go to LA, New York, Miami. If they live in Texas, they want to go to Houston and Austin. They don't want to just be in Dallas. Right. So, but no one talks about why that is, but that's because they're trying to change their nature implicitly of how they have always had it. Cause they want more, mm -hmm. you know, we, we live in America and you can always go get more. It's just going to be a matter of time. And sometimes when you get to that more, it's not what it, what you thought it was. So then exactly. you got to go get more. Yeah. So that's the nature part of the implicit bias, in my opinion, is you have to change the environment of the person. And again, I'm not no licensed professional. I have, I have no formal education on any of this stuff. I just have taken time to try to develop myself um, along with what I do in my profession and working around so many different types of people that a person is always going to be the same unless you change their environment. If, if someone is only talking to you, I tell people that I coach in their career, if someone's talking to you one way and you'll only get one sort of conversation from them when you're asking them for guidance or direction, you have to change the environment being that you might have to go into a conference room or into a meeting or, you know, try to schedule a lunch with them for them to get out of that environment and really try to give you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Now, once you get to that point, if that obstacle is still there and the way forward is you got to go find somebody else because that person is just not going to give you what you need because of their nature, which takes me to nurture. Mm -hmm. I'm a person that, you know, everyone's always talks about it takes a village to raise a child. Everybody knows me when I was growing up. I was at everybody else's house aside from mine. Only time we came to my house is when we were hungry because we always had <laughs> snacks and my mom had no problem cooking for everybody. Right. Everybody knew that, you know, if we ain't have no coins, we can go to my house and my mom, she's going to give us a Michelin star meal. And, you know, it was like, you no, know, my mom is Asian. So she threw down with 
the fried rice and mm -hmm. you know she was introducing people to duck and they didn't know what it was they thought it was chicken and then she would tell them what it was afterwards and everybody was like oh i can't believe i just ate a duck <laughs> um you know so and now you know it's just that that culture piece of that nurture is like me being able to be around so many different people and them opening up their homes to me not just to spend the night because it was late and you know we couldn't mm -hmm. you know no one didn't want to drop us off type of thing but on an everyday basis like even going to your house you know there's i have so many good memories of you know experiencing you know the kickbacks that you used to throw you know we was kids so i didn't really understand you know how can all these people be here with no drama because right. as a kid as a kid whenever a lot of people get around you know somebody got to be the person to just be that person right but you know those positive environments and being around those and seeing how those things were put together it's not necessarily the place that mattered it was the people that were there at that time right and that's that nurture piece and i think that a lot of times right now a lot of people aren't being nurtured because we have these cell phones, these laptops, we have the TV, the video game. It causes people to isolate. So how can someone nurture someone else if they're not around that person? Right. The pandemic made it worse. Yes. People are, are literally closed up and you know, God forbid, like people that are single, you know, they spend an extra, extra time by themselves now. Right. They can't even go meet someone if they try because people are gonna ask, are you vaccinated? <laughs> you know that's the first question now like and it's crazy but it's true a lot of my friends that are single they they bring that up in conversation i'm like i can't imagine you know they going through these little apps and things like that and it's like they that's the first question people are asking people now but the nurture part of the implicit bias is someone has to show somebody not just tell them like this conversation is us telling each other like what our perspective is mm -hmm. but in order for us to show it to each other Every single time we're around each other, we have to continue that conversation. We have to make sure that we're holding one another accountable yeah. by yeah. checking in to say, you know, have you discovered any new implicit biases that you, you, you've, you've overlooked for so long? You know, what are you doing to make sure and, and kind of, you know, do maintenance on making sure that it doesn't happen too often. It's going to happen. We're not perfect. But the nurture part of it is you can't do it by yourself. If you try to do it by yourself, your preference is only going to get more polarized and you're going to be more set in your ways than before without knowing and understanding why, because you only have two eyes and two ears. Mm -hmm. So you got to bring other people in for the nurture part. It takes a village to raise a child, but it takes everybody working with everybody to change what is going on right now. No one can be in the in-between, even the people that are so one way they still have to be in the room because they have to be able to speak on what they believe. Because I, I do think that if people that are acting out and causing harm and acting with these hate crimes on people that are different than them and may look different than them, have different attitudes than them, uh, grew up different than them, if someone was forced to talk about it, when these people that do these things go to trial, nine times out of 10, they don't say anything. Cause they don't know why they did what they did when they had time to think about it right so we have to be proactive and, and, and push people to have that conversation a conversation ain't gonna hurt nobody but it's gonna help a lot of people right and that's where i'm coming from as you know everybody like let's say for example in the three piece and the basic of the dynamic 
-hmm. you know i wasn't the tallest person i wasn't the you know the the person that everybody was like that there you go they i was never that guy however i was that guy like if you want to have a conversation i'm gonna give you a (laughs) hundred all the time and people were like yo here he go there there he go cindy (laughs) here you go he he acting up again but but now that i look back at it it's like had i not been the strong communicator in the group I don't know if I would have been in the group because I, I didn't I didn't have anything else other to bring to the table other than, you know, we're going to sit, we're going to have a conversation. Everybody knows if they call me, I'm going to answer in the first two rings unless, you know, this morning I was at Starbucks. But uh, <laughs> So it's just one of those things that I think that the nurture part, you can't do it by yourself. Right. Um, you have to have someone show you. Um, you know, I suggest to people professionally all the time, find a mentor. It doesn't have to be somebody who has a higher status. It only has to be somebody who worked for the same company. Find someone. They can be even someone that's younger, that's out there, that's out there doing it, just to get an added perspective. A mentorship works two ways. It's not a one-way thing. Everybody has to have something invested to get the most out of it. And it works both ways in the sense that everybody has to be learning something. Exactly. And, you know, you're an educator. You understand that the student can also teach the teacher. Right. You're and that's how too old to learn. Yeah. Never too old to learn. And when it comes to the nature of things, I tell people all the time and I have some some close friends that, you know, I try to change their environment. You know, I try to, you know, be able to get them out of where they're at and have them come visit me. And so I can show them, you know, we come from the same place. But, right. you know, you, you can do this, too. And. It's something that I'm trying to make sure, and, and I, know, I know I can't help everybody, but I can try. And, and that's my attitude towards it. Um, implicitly, I don't have to do that. Like in my mind, I'm like, why are you doing this? You know, why are you taking the time to do that? Explicitly is because I know no one else is going to give that person a shot. Right. Because at some point in time, we've all fallen to Dang, if only somebody would have given me a shot for whatever it is. But yet we don't extend that hand to to give someone a shot. Exactly. And and not to go on for a long time, but when it comes to the word hate and all of that, it's because people don't know what love is. You know, Mm, you said a mouthful right there. And when people don't know what love is, and I'm not talking about, there's different types of love, of course, yeah. there's like the romantic love that everybody leans towards. And that, yes, that's a huge motivation for a lot of people, but people don't understand how important it is to just have friends. Sometimes people feel like one on one side, that person's, oh, that's my acquaintance. But on the other side, the person's like, that's my best friend. They're always there when I need them. Mm-hmm. And, and as men, I can only speak on like from a men perspective, we don't acknowledge the importance of the fellowship enough because mm-hmm. it's not something that was nurtured and it's definitely not in our nature. Right. But mm-hmm. if no one acknowledges it, who is going to? Because I can guarantee if I didn't have the friends that I have, I would not be who I am today. Wow. That's 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 a mouthful right there. And you know, I, I just want to throw one more question in there. I know it's, it's, no, been, well, it's well time spent though, because awareness is, I think that's what's gonna, um, you know, bring everybody together. But 
being that you are biracial and then your wife is Caucasian and mm-hmm. with all of the things that's going on in the media, what kind of talks is that? Does that cause any friction? Is that is there any awareness that's being opened up in your own home? Absolutely. And it, I, I was waiting on you to ask a question like that because a lot of people don't understand what mixed couples go through, especially nowadays. Like mm-hmm. we knew it was hard, you know, historically, but now it's even harder because it's more polarizing. Mm. In my household, I can't speak for no one else's. We take the approach to collaborate. Mm-hmm. And we have plenty of conversations where we're teaching each other different things about our upbringing and our culture. Sometimes we go a bit aggressive and, you know, we say, you'll never understand. Mm-hmm. But we also make a point to never put one another in a position to where we have to truly experience it. And it's not in our favor. Right. So let's say, for example, when I go visit her family in Northwest Iowa, I'm most of the time, I'm the blackest person in the room. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, I haven't had a bad experience. And That's I'm thankful for that. However, I do have to protect myself physically and mentally for if it, a time does come. Right. I, you can't you can't be naive to it, and also for her, I've taken her around where she's the only white person at the barbecue, mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I have to make sure to follow up with her, and like she follows up with me of like you know are you okay is everything good do you need yeah. you know do you need something that extra check in is not optional anymore. And being in a mixed household, it's, it's yeah. mandatory. And it's not just a one-time check-in, it's every day. At the time when the Black Lives Matter movement kicked off, um, we were living in Wilmington, Delaware. Mm-hmm. And on the street that we live, there was a protest and they were, you know, vandalizing uh, cars and this, that, and the other. And she didn't understand it, um, what was going on or what had happened. Cause we hadn't been really watching the news as to mm-hmm. what was going on. You know, we watched the news up until that day because she wanted to go on a picnic outside and I knew some stuff was going on in the city. So I had to tell her like, no, we're not going on a picnic today. <laughs> yeah, you want to protect her. <laughs> I always want to protect her. Yeah. And on the flip side, she always wants to protect me too. Exactly. So in a mixed household, those conversations, they happen more than people think because we don't, we're not out to just protect ourselves. Now we have to protect a whole person. Right. That that person has become our world. We don't have kids yet, so it's just me and her. Yeah, and God forbid, if you had kids, you had to protect them because... And then know, the conversations would have to happen yeah. even more now because, you know, it's happening faster. You know, they got cell phones. They see what's going on. They got social media. They scroll one way or the other on YouTube. They're going to see a video that they shouldn't see. Mm-hmm. So uh, the conversations definitely do happen. Uh, we collaborate, we educate each other on our, our different cultures to try to get a better understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, not saying we agree on everything. I don't want people to think, oh man, they got it, they got it made in the shade. That's not it. Um, it. It takes a lot of work, but it's work worth doing because that's the person that is for me and I'm for her and we're gonna make this thing work. But we have to make sure that we understand we can't be 
afford to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And if we are in the wrong place at the wrong time, we have to be prepared for whatever happens. And we've had those types of conversations and it can kind of get morbid, but we have to prepare for those things because I'm not a passive person. Um, I handle conflict head on. Um, I handle it my way and that's not the best way all the time. But I also don't go out my way to seek conflict. Um, but we, we do have those conversations often more than people realize. And it's not because it's a trending topic in our household. It's, that's, it's real life. It's real. We have to survive and we have to do it together. And so we, we have those conversations. I would say anytime something is on TV and it's an invitation to ask a question, we're asking those questions. Anytime something happens, um, we're at the point now where it's like it happens almost daily in one way or another where we're addressing these things. And, and I good. think it has brought us together even closer because I and I know, and I'm not just saying, I know that she's on the right side of everything when it comes to what side she's on. You're right. Not just when it comes to me, but when it comes to any person of color. Um, right is right. And it, cause the thing is, People want to be allies just to, you know, a couple people. That's not an ally. Right. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a prejudice in itself. But I was going to say that's a bias. You just bias toward one person. Yeah. Correct. And so through those conversations, you know, it it, it has brought us closer together um, in a different way than I, I never even thought about. Because, again, everybody sees her as white. I don't see her that way. Like, that's, that's just my wife. Right. Somebody brings it up, and I'm like, "Yeah, she is white, super white." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but yep. Yeah. Well, I thank you, Alex. And so, with that said, uh, give us a nugget. Just take about thirty seconds and just give us a takeaway. What What, what would be the main takeaway? My advice for 2021 for everybody, uh, no matter what you look like, no matter what you think, no matter where you are. Just take the time to do something for yourself. Um, take the time to invest in yourself. Everybody investing in something now. Invest in yourself. Invest in your well-being, your mental health. Um, take the time to take a break. Take the time to be alone. Take the time to be with other people. Um, you just got to take the time. Because if you don't, who who's going to do that for you? If you got to schedule it, schedule it, but take the time to do something for yourself is the nugget I would tell everyone, especially right now, um, you know, whether it's, you know, go shopping or go to a restaurant or, or do something for yourself. Because if, if you're not right and you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of nobody else. Well said, well said. So there you have it, folks, you know, awareness 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 on differences because we're all different i don't care what culture you're in what ethnicity what color you are however you want to see it within your own culture within your own color within your own house within your own siblings there are differences and we have to accept those differences and because being different is what makes us who we are so with that said 
tune in next week. We're going to continue our conversation and I will be doing um, a conversation with a young lady that is transitioning. She's coming out and that's what it's about. It's about awareness. Not that I agree with everything that, that we have to become aware about, but it is a step forward to change. And that's what we want. We have to accept people for who they are because we don't have a heaven or hell to put anyone in. Our job is to love people for who they are and God will do the rest. So with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening again. Welcome to my show. Thanks for tuning in. This is an anchor perspective and it stemmed from the Riri show. So again, I'm your host, Renata Fuller and come back. Thank you.